0: Jerusalem is a place where everyone remembers he has forgotten something, but doesn't remember what it is. This Pardes Life is an original podcast production from the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. For more original Torah content, please visit www.elmad.pardes.org. Dot E-L-M-A-D dot Pardes, P-A-R-D-E-S dot O-R-G.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to uh, another exciting edition of This Pardes Life. My name is Svi Hirschfield, and I have a very special guest today. It is my privilege and honor to be learning uh, a beautiful poem from a uh, extremely well-known and respected Jewish educator, Rachel Korazim, who uh, has a long uh, history of successful education in the field of Israel education and Holocaust education. Uh, she has developed a really special emphasis on working with Israeli literature as a lens to explore uh, these uh, these topics, I think, of Jewish identity and Israel identity and, and, and Holocaust. Uh, among other places where she teaches, she teaches all over the world, both in English and in Hebrew, and has really made an incredible mark of bringing Uh, uh, Hebrew literature to non-Hebrew speaking audiences, which is why uh, she is already a legend here at Pardes for, uh, I would say, an incredible number of people who come to hear her and have this whole world of uh, Hebrew literature opened up to them in a way that they can relate to, uh, most of them as religious uh, Jews born not in Israel. Mm -hmm. So she is very talented uh, very creative, very dedicated, and it's my privilege to be learning with her today. Welcome, Rachel.
0: to Thank you very much. It's a privilege and a pleasure to be
1: here. Terrific. So uh, before we're going to jump in, maybe you could just say a little bit about why Hebrew literature as a Jewish educator, as also a Holocaust educator, what is it you saw in Isra- Israel Hebrew literature that you felt was so important? I'd like
0: to address this from two perspectives. For myself personally... I wouldn't need an explanation. It was always there and understanding my life, understanding my reality through the literature has always been part of my life. I think I owe a lot of it to my mother and for, for sure to some very great teachers who have been there in the earlier years of my life. But for my audiences as and the thing to teach through, that happened on a very clear event in Montreal almost 35 years ago. So here's what happened. I was a Shlicha, an emissary for the Jewish Agency, And you may remember the 80s, or maybe you were too young to remember. Oh, no, I wish I was too young to remember the 80s. Okay, so the disconnect from home was much harder than it is today. We didn't have the internet and the cheap phone calls and all that.
1: Tell my children, yes.
0: Yeah, okay. And so, like a telephone conversation between my children and my mom, like Safta, I had to curtail the minutes that they could speak because it was so expensive. So imagine in all that how how I felt about being disconnected from what was happening in the literary scene in Israel. Well, the newspapers, you remember how they used to come on that transparent paper being flown from Tel Aviv to New York and then from New York to Montreal. And we were happy having them a week later because we didn't know anything better is coming. So it's through the papers that I learn about all that beautiful new stuff that is appearing in Israeli literature. Let me remind you that the 80s is like the beginning of David Grossman, Savion Lebrecht, all those names that since became like for lovers of Hebrew literature, like household names, but not at the time. They were new and exciting. So I write a letter to my friends, like real letter, paper, envelope, stamp, you know, and asked them to send me some of those books to Montreal, which they did not air mail because books were heavy, you remember. So well, three months
1: in the St. Lawrence boat, River yeah.
0: and all that. And when I had them, I soon enough the word got around among my Israeli friends in Montreal, she's got the new books. So they asked me to do what we call in Hebrew, a circle of reading. And don't you even dare think about a today modern book club. Because in modern book clubs, we each have our copy of the book. And at the time, we had the one copy, and they haven't come around yet to invent photocopying machines. Wow. So my secretary was actually typing on that material for the stamps. I remember, yeah, the carbon paper, yeah. Yeah, and yet we learned. And yet we learned. And soon enough, my English-speaking friends came and said, will you do for us? And they said, I would, but no translations. And then we did homemade translations and yet we studied. One of the participants in that English-speaking group comes up to me one day and says to me these few sentences that I think actually sent me on this way. He said, Rachel, you cannot imagine what reading this literature is doing for us. And I, being, you know, you're Israeli blasé, not so very respectful, said, oh, what's the big deal, you know, I grew up with this. said, no, no, no Rachel, you don't get it. Think about us, Montreal Jews. How do we get to learn about Israel? There is Israel from the pulpit, you know, comes Lech Lecha or whatever the rabbi will address. Very insightful, not very contemporary. Then there is Israel of fundraising. You know, the more miserable it looks, the better it is for fundraising. And then there is the media, which hasn't changed since the 80s. How do we get into the media? Either we shoot them or they shoot us. Now the woman says to me, reading this literature with you, it's as if you have invited us into your own living room. And let us listen to the intimate Israeli discourse, the kind of stuff you guys are saying to each other when we diaspora Jews are not listening. And that did it for me. And as of that day, I cannot tell you, sweet, that I have started that day because I was still much younger than I am today and still busy with jobs and young children and whatever. But I did a little bit all along. And then when I finally had the free time and space and energy to do it, this is what I do full-time today, create these sessions around Israeli reality topics, collecting different pieces of literature, and hopefully conflicting, because if you want to understand Israel, it has to be conflicting voices and not always one side and the other, sometimes six different sizes. And this is what I do. Beautiful.
1: Uh, very inspiring. You know, two things come up for me just now, which I'm just going to put out there. Number one, I've lived in Israel almost half my life, and I still feel often like I'm an outsider looking in. So it's, it's caused me to reflect on that, and maybe it's because I haven't spent enough time with this material, so maybe you're going to inspire me today to do a little tshuva, do a little repentance and, and correct that. And the question which I want to come back to at the end after we've studied is this touchstone between Israeli identity and Jewish identity. Mm -hmm. and in what ways you think it's relevant for Jews not living in Israel to still benefit by being attached or connected to this living room conversation among Israelis as to what's going on here.
0: So we study first? We're going to study first, but uh,
1: I think that's a really important question that you're going to have a lot of wisdom for us. We will try to
0: come back to to
1: it. Oh, I'll remember. Don't worry. I wrote it down. We're going to come back to it. Okay, Okay, so why don't you introduce for us – this poem, maybe a couple of sentences about why you chose it, and then we'll jump in.
0: So first of all, we are going to read a poem called Mitokshirei Eretz Sion VeYerushalayim by Yehuda Amichai, and in English, from the Songs of Zion the Beautiful. Yehuda Amichai, this is from a pretty famous collection of Amichai poetry uh, that appeared in the 80s called Poems of Jerusalem. I love that particular book. Unfortunately, I'm afraid it's out of print. There is another version of it available, but not the one that I hold so close and important to me because that one, as I often say, was published in three languages, Hebrew, English, and photography. Oh, wow. And the, the edition that they sell you now on Amazon and stuff does not have the photography. Oh well, that's too bad. Yeah, it is, it is. So, but anyway, so this is Amichai of the 80s with an anthology that will include his Jerusalem poetry up till that day, and in it there is this particular one, which is one of the series, and if you look at the copy in front of you, you will see that the Hebrew has for a subtitle the letters Kaf Aleph. Should have been 21 in the English, but it didn't appear that way in the publication. But anyway, so as soon as you see a title or a subtitle with these Hebrew letters, it reminds you of a biblical chapter because Mm. this is how they are named or they are called. So Amichai is playing around a little bit with creating something that will bring to the reader's mind thinking in terms of biblical chapters or maybe adding something to that particular kind of
1: literature. She's already inviting us to read this in a wider context than that uh, modern. That is
0: totally correct. So shall we?
1: Yes. What year is this from approximately? The 80s. The mid 80s. 80s. He wrote yeah, this mid the mid 80s. 80s.
0: I, he could have written it before, but the publication is from the 80s. Okay. okay. So what I'd like you uh, because I know we just had a conversation before that you are pretty fluent in Hebrew. I do okay. So, <laughs> and uh, I'm going to ask you to do something very simple for me. Look at the Hebrew title, look at the English title, and tell me if you can possibly in one word without the it depends and all the Talmudic and Midrashic explanation. Just a simple answer. Is the English translation correct, true to the origin? No. It is not,
1: okay? It <laughs> is not. If you force me to answer, I would say, Yes, it is. Beautiful n- doesn't appear in the Hebrew. Tra- okay. Uh, tzi- uh, Eretz doesn't appear in the English. I know. doesn't appear so
0: Hanabloch, who is the translator of this, off blessed memory one should say, she just died under a year ago. We are still in the first year of remembering her passing. Hanabloch did this while Amichai was alive. He supervised. <laughs> he knew how the translation was done. So therefore, I'd like for us to check why have they agreed to do that. So now just imagine that you did not speak Hebrew. And I was going to read to you the title and ask you whether the words, the sounds in it. Don't think about translation because you don't speak Hebrew. You cannot translate. But you're a good Jew. You participate in Jewish ritual. So the words should sound familiar. And if I read the Hebrew title to you, do they not ring a bell?
1: Yes, I'm thinking perhaps of the uh, national anthem of the state of Israel. Yeah, the song is going through my head. Yeah.
0: Now would you look at the English translation for me and tell me whether the translator was trying to do something similar for the American reader?
1: Wow, because of America the Beautiful. Wow.
0: So actually, Amichai proclaims in his Hebrew original, I'm going to have a conversation with the anthem. And knowing Amichai, it could even read, I'm going to mess with the anthem. And Chanav Loch, his very faithful translator, is trying to do a cultural adaptation and give the American reader a tam, an echad beshishim, a little bit. A taste. A taste. Of the original. Wow, okay. beautiful, beautiful, Isn't that beautiful? Amazing. Isn't that beautiful? Okay, so now let's go into the poem. And I'm not promising you that we will finish its study because my suggestion today is to look at this very modern 33-year-old text as if it had been a classical Jewish text. And when you read a classical Jewish text, it's not about finishing and rushing to the end to find out what happened at the end. It's about paying attention to every single word and what it carries. Jerusalem is a place where everyone remembers he has forgotten something, but doesn't remember what it is. Now, sweet, do you really need to be a biblical scholar in order to see that if a Jewish, Israeli Jewish poet is putting in the first line of his poem, first three lines of his poems, the words Jerusalem, remembering and forgetting, could it possibly that he is having... A conversation with a slightly earlier Jewish text.
1: I would hazard a guess that uh, the, uh, the the psalm from Tehillim about forgetting Jerusalem is echoing here. For
0: so let's go back to that particular okay. Tehillim, okay? And remember the commitment.
1: God forbid,
0: I should forget your Yerushalayim. What horrible stuff should happen to me. My arm would wither and my tongue would dry and oy, vavoy, oy vavoy. right? Vavoy. And now here's Amichai coming at the end of the 20th century, like 3,000 years after the poet of Tehillim, after King David, and suggesting I'm not so sure anymore. There may be some among us who, when they come to Jerusalem, look around and have this feeling and saying, you know, I know I ought to feel something. I ought to remember something, but I'm not sure anymore. It's not there. Do you remember, did you ever lead a group of youngsters, Americans or others, on a tour to Israel, and you were talking to them in all those sessions of preparation how when they come to the Kotel... And they will feel, and they will see, and the vibes. And most of them do, and they are very excited. And then there is that one kid who stands there, blank face, looks at you and says, Amore,
1: it's a wall. I'm not feeling anything. Many of them are sad. They want to be moved. They want to. Is there something
0: wrong with me? That's right. So who do you think Amichai is addressing in these three lines? Who are those people? who when they come to Jerusalem, they know they should, and it doesn't happen for them.
1: They feel like they failed somehow. Yeah,
0: but who are they? Who is Mek Who is he addressing?
1: You know, it's an interesting question. For me, what comes to mind are, are a couple possibilities. One is the tourist, the, mm-hmm. the, the Jew coming from the outside, but I'm also thinking maybe it's the, the secular Jew who is, uh, doesn't feel that spiritual peace and, and knows the psalm, Knows they're supposed to, quote unquote, they're carrying the weight of that psalm, but it's not happening for them. It's not happening
0: for them anymore. So these are two classical readings that I often get. So when I teach it, which I often do uh, to your tourists, to your visitors from abroad, etc., say, ah, this is your Israel criticizing us diaspora Jews that we don't get it. And the other thing is that people with or without kippah, but more the tea, etc. looking at people like myself, hilonist, secular, it's about you guys. And my favorite is when I teach it in Yerushalayim, in Hebrew to Israelis, and say, it's about Tel Aviv people. Ah. And it's so funny to me because I am a Tel Aviv person, you know. And these are two classical readings of these lines. And they will last until you go to the next line.
1: But I, I also want to say it also speaks to me as a religious Jew sitting in Jerusalem, where I often think also it's not affecting me. Something's missing. I'm not getting something that I, I thought I would get when I made the journey okay. here. And I'm I'm also at the wall saying, you know what? Sometimes it only feels like a wall.
0: Okay. So Amichai must have this on this particular day because he needs to go out of his way and do something to better remember. And for the sake of remembering, I wear my father's face over mine. So first of all, Amichai is talking about himself. He who comes from a traditional family, he who lives smack in the heart of Yerushalayim, who had participated in quite a few wars, if that counts Pays his taxes. Knows his text. Can make references to both tikva and Psalms. And he is saying, I need to go out of my way and do something to better remember. And the thing is, where my father's face over mine. So Amichai, who lives here, he is not a sabra, but he lives here. And he thinks he needs his father's face. Who was a diaspora Jew? Now Is that at all a possibility? Now, you know the diaspora Jews better than I. I'm a Sabra. What do they have over us Israelis? Why would you need the eyes and the nose and the feeling and the uh, skin of your father to better understand Yerushalayim, like his face over yours? What does he have over you?
1: So I guess what comes to mind is is longing. So when you're not from here, you could dream of here. And that that dreaming might, you yearn for something powerful. And then maybe the, when you live here every day and you're caught up, as you said, in paying your taxes and worrying about the garbage Picking up the kids in the kindergarten. picking up the yeah. kids in kindergarten. Yerushalayim is not this mythical, magical place. It's, it's, it's where you happen to live like people live everywhere.
0: So could there be a double edge here that Abichai is saying, first of all, we who take it, we who live here have started taking it for granted and we are missing something doing our Texas and miluim and you know the reserve duty in the military and picking up the kids at the kindergarten and all that we stopped thinking about it and the other thing and by virtue of that the diaspora jews have something over us and i'm talking to you as a colleague israeli how would a line like that go by us Israelis when an Israeli poet is suggesting to us that diaspora Jews may have won over us in better understanding this place? Would that make Amichai very popular, do you think? They would
1: question his Zionism. <laughs> they would say, what's going on here? You, this is kfirah this is heresy totally, to say something like that.
0: Totally. Well, we will find it in other writers as well. Agnon in one of his stories will say about something who is going to leave Jerusalem for a bit He says, I envy you already because you will have the longing once you are outside of Israel. So first of all, let us accept about Amichai that his main goal is not to seek popularity. His main goal is really to explore where we are. But now you see what happens. Now we reach the point in my teaching where I take off the text a little bit in order to achieve my other goal, and that is to persuade my listeners and students and people who study with me how much they are missing by not being able to read this in Ivrit. So that's really a sacred goal in my life, to make you feel guilty for not having Ivrit.
1: Okay, listeners, that means if we, we're going to follow up with you. If you don't start taking Hebrew classes, we're going to know uh, Rachel and I did not succeed fully here. Correct. Okay. So
0: let's look at the Hebrew... And I'm going to take you to the fifth line of the poem, I wear my father's face over mine. I want you to look at the word chovesh. It's the first one on the fifth line of the poem. Now, let me check. You know, you can hear from my accent, I'm not a native English speaker. But where in English, you guys wear your socks, your shoes, your slacks, your hat, your perfume, your glasses, and even your jewelry. That right? sounds like a pretty good uh, yeah. list.
1: Yeah.
0: Hebrew, bless the language. You grave your socks and no ale your shoes and lovish your slacks.
1: Each thing has its own verb, and its own, own word. And markiv your, your glasses, glasses,
0: and chovesh your headgear, and ode your jewelry, and so on. The Hebrew language has a specific verb for every single item you put on your body. Now, Amichai wants to put something different on his body, a face. There is no verb for that. So following the tradition, he has to look at the plethora of available verbs to him to put stuff on your body, and of all those from your socks to your hat, he will choose the one for headgear, chovesh, <laughs> kippah, to wear a kippah. But Hebrew verbs, you know, they have secrets, mm. and they are all hidden in the root, which is normally three letters, chet, <laughs> bit. Shin. So let's look at the first one, lachvosh kippah, to wear a yarmulke, a kippah. Could Amichai be suggesting by the choice of this particular verb that if you want to better understand Yerushalayim, cover your head, man?
1: You need a a little religious perspective.
0: Look like a Jew. Then maybe it will come to you. Wow. But there's another possibility. Do you still remember the times when you used to travel in this country and you needed to have paramedics on the bus? What do you call a paramedic in Hebrew?
1: A paramedic in Hebrew. Uh, Chovesh. <laughs> Chovesh. Wow. I never thought the words are connected. That's so funny. But the verb is the, it's the same.
0: same. It's healing, it's dressing your wound. It's binding ver- your wound. It's binding your wound. There is a sense of healing in that, of taking care. Not enough. Because I took you all the way to Bialik at the beginning of the 20th century, reading a poem like Hamatmid, you know, that student of yeshiva, and the expression is, et beit Hamidrash dresses the benches of yeshiva, namely studying. And when I take you all the way back to yermiau, I hope I don't have to say Jeremiah because it's Yirmiau for me. And you will hear "Chavush bevet committed to prison. The choice of verb by Amichai Chet entails do Jewish, heal, study, commit. Ani al how much of that does the English, I wear my father's face over mine, give you?
1: Close to none. Close to none. Yeah, zero, I would say. Zero.
0: Right okay, so here is an example. When the translator, she really did an amazing job, but totally cognizant of the limitations of transfer from one language to another, which is from one culture to another. And the simplest example would be the word, Face, panim, the face word in English, I wear my father's face over mine, would suggest face is like facade, you know, from the Latin, outside. And the Hebrew panim comes from where?
1: Panim, internal, inside. Inside, the Hebrew
0: language recognizes that your face is a mere expression of who you are. And you wanted to say something about panim el panim, you remember? Right, that
1: Moshe speaks to God, panim el panim, which of course can't be facade, it would be empty, it must mean genuine relationship. Yeah, okay.
0: But you know, some of our readers may find this very, very heavy reading and may doubt it. Does every single reader need to go to all those layers and layers? You're right. Let me give you something way simpler in reading of this. Did it ever happen to you, dear listener, that you went by a mirror or a window and turned you halfway there and suddenly it was your father's face or your mother's and the first time? It's so annoying when you start looking <laughs> like them. And as years go by and God forbid they are gone, it's not so bad to meet your mum in the bathroom every morning as I do. Yes. <laughs> Could Amichai suggest... That understanding Yerushalayim, in order to better remember, we just need to mature. That it's not a thing that you come by automatically when you are on that high school trip to Yerushalayim. That it will take years and growing up and maturing and starting to have your father's face over yours.
1: That's beautiful. The other thing I just want to ask you about, in the English, there's a sense of being covered up. It's mm-hmm. my father's face, so it's no longer my face. But in the Hebrew, there's a sense of adding. Mm-hmm. In other words, the the, the he's not disappearing, yeah. but he's adding his father's face to his own. I feel like there's a very important difference there.
0: Which is an immediate remembering of the story of Joseph trying to escape the wife of Potiphar, and the Midrash will tell mm. us, niglulo Pnei Aviv
1: his father's face appeared to him, Rashi yeah, says. Diok- panim. Yeah,
0: yeah, and the, the face, aviv, pnei aviv. so it's the adding, it was himself, plus the father face being the litmus test of proper behavior. Okay, so Amichai is using the father face as an addition to a more a better look at Yerushalayim. And just in case there is a Hebrew teacher among our listeners, I want to give you another thing to hang on to. Look at the choice of the verb structure that Amichai have chosen.
1: Zechira.
0: He didn't say Kedei score, just to remember, snap, remind me. No, Zechira, it's Shema Peula. It's that longer work of remembering. You have to work at it to come by a proper remembering of Yerushalayim. Now, tsvi. in all fairness, this is, by the time Amichai writes this, he is a secular person. Most of his readership is secular. The book is poetry sold the same matsky's and not its foreign books, etc.
1: You're saying in Geula or Me'er Charim, he's not a very popular No,
0: author. I don't think so. And okay. yet, could you say in all fairness, when next you hear the Pasuk in Meshkachei that something of that will come to you, of the hard work needed to not lishkoach, not to forget Yerushalayim?
1: It's a modern midrash. It's a hirush. <laughs> But it also just makes me wonder this struggle that uh, a secular Jew in Yerushalayim has of both wanting to connect through the past but also feeling that sharp break that he's no longer his father Mm -hmm. and he's not his grandfather and he's not going to go back there. He needs
0: the hard work. And so how to live in both
1: of those worlds just seems to be so difficult, so tense, so challenging.
0: Yeah, but it had worked, you see, for him. Because as soon as he had done, gone through that process, suddenly as if a curtain lifted up, because look at the next lines. This is the city where my dream containers fill up like divers oxygen tanks. Wow, now I get it. I know I need the city as a scuba diver would need to take with himself, you know, for for breathing underwater. Tzvi, did you ever go scuba diving?
1: I have not. I am too scared. Okay, I will confess to all of you right now. All right,
0: but I happen to be a scuba diver. Wow. And by virtue of that, I know that Amichai had made a mistake because scuba divers do not carry oxygen in those tanks. You cannot breathe oxygen. It's compressed air, avir d'chus. Oxygen is what they give you in hospital. your breathing is not uh, very not good. It's
1: not pure oxygen. No, you It's cannot... just air. Yeah. It's real life yeah. air.
0: you cannot breathe pure oxygen. In hospital, when your breathing is not so great, they'll give you oxygen, so take a sip, you know, a little bit, yeah. so your breathing is better. And I once had the opportunity, and I tell the story at length, but we do not have the time, when I did meet Amichai, and I went up to him and asked him, And I said, you know, Mr. Amichai, scuba divers, not oxygen man, looked at me totally pitifully and (laughs) said to me, which is exactly what I deserved, like, who cares? (laughs) It's so much more beautiful. Don't ruin the art. uh, And which sent me back to the lines because he had said, it's so much more beautiful like this. And I needed to go back to the original Hebrew, and I'll try to do it for you to understand what he meant, the, the, the aesthetics. The beauty. Listen to the Hebrew for divers oxygen tanks. Michalei hamtzan shel litzlol. is oxygen. Tzolelim divers who dive. Amichai wanted that tzolil sound, which in Hebrew goes for Tsle sound, and litzlol go deep. And also, Tzalul, see-through, transparent. Clear. Could he be having a conversation at the time in the 80s with that other Yerushalayim famous? Yerushalayim Yerushalayim red, tzalul, oh, beautiful. Was he responding to Nomi Shemir? Was he thinking about all the levels of meaning of see-through and transparent and sound and deep? And I wanted him to say compressed air. Like, how stupid can you be?
1: <laughs> you wanted accuracy.
0: Yeah, I know. And I wanted to brag I could scuba dive. I think that was the main purpose of the exercise.
1: So now that you got me started, also the chalomot, it made me think of shir hamalot and hainu kecholmi, and we were like dreamers returning yeah. to Jerusalem but after exile. But this, also this
0: notion of mechalei, like dream containers, like as if in our body, Somewhere we have those containers to put all the dreams in, and this is what Yerushalayim does for you. It fills up your dream containers, which is, which is beautiful to me. So but I, you see,
1: yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. But you see, my question. whole
0: purpose in teaching this, and even if we will not finish it today, is to come by these next five lines, five words in Hebrew and six in English. HaKdusha <speaking> LeAhava. Its holiness sometimes turns into love. So, first of all, note a classical Amichai switch of tone because we just had the wow moment divers, dream containers, la 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 la, Shiramalot, you were doing all that stuff. And suddenly it's as if the poet steps aside, looks at the city. Its holiness sometimes turns into love.
1: Like he's disappointed somehow.
0: And by virtue of that, what happens all those other times? If it's holiness sometimes turns into love.
1: What is it when it's not turning into love?
0: What is it turning into? It's sometimes turning into... Come on, give me the other options.
1: Uh, Hatred, Hatred. darkness, anger, distancing. Disappointment. Disappointment, failure.
0: Indifference, anything. All those options are there. Now, this is a classic. Because if we just did... Biblical connotations, let's do tefillah, which is that particular blessing that connects but also contrasts Kdusha holiness, and love. Is it not Birkat Kohanim? Mm when the Kohanim are standing on the Bima and saying, Baruch Shekid Elohim, Shekidshano Be'kdushato shel Aaron, who blessed us with the holiness of Aaron. So know. giving gratitude for the fact that by the virtue of the Jews have kept their last names, I, Mr. Kaplan, or Dr. Katz, standing on the Bima in front of you, know that I belong to Kohanim, and therefore I share in the Kedusha in the holiness Granted to Aharon from above, the first Kohen, first part of the bracha. Then comes the second. Vitzivano and commanded us to bless this congregation with love. love. kedusha, holiness you get.
1: Beautiful, becomes love.
0: Ahava you
1: need to give.
0: And Amichai is saying sometimes there is something in the city that occasionally does not let
1: you love it. Or love each other.
0: Or love each other. That makes you angry or indifferent or outraged. Now, Tzvi, this is the 80s. We did not yet dare think about the critical discourse about Israel. Now it's very much in fashion. But in the 80s, Amichai is saying to you loud and clear I'm committed to this place I live here I sing its beauty don't you preach to me about not loving Israel or about being a self-hating Jew I'm not that and yet I'm telling you there are times when you cannot love it you cannot accept everything use your eyes use your mind dare to say when you do not like it how does that hit you?
1: Well, it's interesting. I, what what occurred to me is, is that the secular Jews struggle with an entire religious tradition? In other words, to turn holy books into books that can stimulate love. Mm-hmm. And there's some things in that religious tradition that probably can do that. And there's some things for a modern secular person that says, this doesn't fill me with love.
0: And how about religious people? When you see something that
1: you don't love, do you dare? So that's the question. Can religious people dare to ask the question... I'm told this is holy, but how does it affect me? Is it making me a better person? Is it making me a better Jew? Do I dare speak up? Do I dare even ask that question because it's holy? And if it's holy, doesn't that mean I can't ask that question? Mm -hmm. So I think it's a a powerful question, I think, for for all of us in its own way.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. I think we are ending our time, are we not? Do you you want to go back to that original question that you had asked me, or shall I continue?
1: Well, I want to ask you two questions. Go ahead. I'm happy to continue, but it's up to you. I want to know also about your own, is it a struggle for you to live in those two worlds that you mentioned, that that, uh, both wanting to wear the face of your parents and connecting to a tradition, but also seeing yourself as a secular Jew in Israel, where does your, how does your own story connect to what he's talking about?
0: Complex and obviously not to, to be summarized in the few minutes that we not. have, but first of all, I live in Tel Aviv, and we are having this conversation in Yerushalayim. So I have made it, not only do I live in Tel Aviv, I live in Yafo, in Jaffa. And we chose Jaffa, Yossi, my husband and myself, because we wanted that connect with the otherness in Israel. With non Jews, with Arabs, with Christians, with Muslims, with a variety the variety that Jaffa slash Tel Aviv life can give you. Yet I come and teach in Jerusalem weekly, sometimes five times a week, and whatever. So I will say, in a classical, secular Israeli way, of my connectedness to the Holy. Because uh, secular Israelis, you know, I I mentioned this to you earlier, and people who have heard me teach have heard this sentence a zillion times from me. Fluency in biblical text, connectedness to Tanakh in Israel, has nothing to do with your level of observance.
1: Mm. Okay?
0: So I'm totally, through this line of Amichai, connected to Nevi'im, you know. I read not only Torah... I read Haftarah as well, and let me tell you, I searched very, very carefully, and I've yet to find a prophet that was happy (laughs) with the people of Israel of his time. You noticed that, did you? Yeah. Yeah. I have yet to find a prophet that was happy with the secular ruler of the time, the king or what have you. Being connected to tradition is also being connected to the prophetic voice of critique. And... That is a very important part of, of my Jewishness of and connectedness. You scratch my family history one generation back I go back to Budapest Orthodoxy, mm. which is where my my family comes from. And mom who who raised both of us, my sister and I here in Israel, in a what you may call a sort of you know, middle of the road the secular Israeli. Yeah, secular Israeli. Like you fast on Yom Kippur, you get crazy before Pesach to get the house clean. You light your Shabbat candles, etc. And then you go to the beach, oh. <laughs> you know. So this is the kind of my Israeliness, and I feel totally at home in it. Not always comfortable, because be, being a Jew in Israel is not very comfortable all the time. Mm. But that's part of the at-homeness of it. The The discomfort is part of it. You need, if you follow our prophet, if you follow our tradition, a discomfort as part of, of who you are supposed to be.
1: So Amichai's discomfort and your discomfort, it resonates with you. He's totally. speaking, this is a voice you recognize totally. personally.
0: Yeah, this is why I chose this particular poem to teach today.
1: Okay, and now I'm going to ask you that big question, which I know you have a lot to say about. How do you understand this link between Hebrew literature, I don't even know what to call it, Hebrew literature, Israeli literature, and and Jewish identity, and I'm asking because it's only my sense, I think diaspora Jews for the most part are very disconnected, both religious and secular, everybody on the spectrum. I don't feel like people are running to study, even in translation, uh, Israeli literature, and I, I almost want to invite you to help us be excited about entering that space of how this literature should affect us as Jews.
0: Tzvi, this is the next shelf. We come from Torah, and then came Nevi'im, and then came Mishnah, and then came Gemara. And then came Rabbanim and Sofrim and Puskim and all the way through and Maimonides and Rashi. On the way there was Yehuda Levy, by the way, with quite a few beautiful poems uh, and some others. And we came all the way to to the, the modern responsa and reading of texts. Why stop? Why stop? You know, a 100 years ago, if a Jewish scholar from Vilna would have visited the home of a Jewish scholar in Cleveland, they would probably have felt very comfortable in each other's libraries. Mm -hmm. In recent years, it is not the case anymore. We read different books. Mm. And I think we should really make an effort to reach out to that other shelf And not all of Israeli literature is accessible and and, and translated already into English, but quite a lot is. And it will really give you that ticket of entrance into the intimate Israeli discourse. And I think it's worthwhile. You will gain a lot. You will have an insight. You will have a way of understanding And that that goes beyond those other sources of getting to know Israel. It's not all about the conflict and politics all the time. There is much more to it than that.
1: So is modern Israeli identity also a Jewish identity?
0: There's a lot of Jewish in it, but Jewish never meant one single thing. So, yeah, absolutely, of course, it's a jewish identity my My personal trainer uses uh, biblical images oftentimes when he speaks about his work it's 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 there, it's part of who we are, it's the language. it's Vat. you know. And and, and you, you may think of, of the, the, the particular tefillah you say on Rosh Chodesh, and I think of beautiful Shvat poetry in modern Israeli literature, and I will post it online on Facebook so that my American friends understand that there is that side of Rosh Chodesh as well.
1: Beautiful. Well, uh, I just want to say, first of all, just to thank you for your You're time. Welcome. I want to let everybody know, listening, that... Uh, you have had a chance to hear from a very unique Talmid Chacham. You Talmidah. Talmidah Chachamah. <laughs> uh, not in the way, perhaps, in the traditional world it's defined, but certainly in the way of sort of helping us connect in a personal way, uh, in a national way, in a contemporary way, to texts of the past, to issues of the present. Uh, it has been a privilege to get to know you a little bit today and to learn from you and to speak with you. Uh, and I urge everybody out there, if Rachel is coming to your community, Uh, make the time, learn from her, sit with her. Uh, It'll open up a world for you that I think too many of us just don't have access to and don't even know we should be fighting for access to it. So on behalf of Pardes and myself, thank you so, so much for taking the time and being with us.
0: Thank you for having me. And I really have to rush now to get ready to my Pardes class.
1: That is totally fair. Thank you so much.
0: This Pardes Life is an original podcast production from the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. For more original Torah content, please visit www.elmad.pardes.org. Elmad.pardes.org.